Welcome to the Third Space Podcast. My name is Faiza Farah and I am your host. This is a show that goes beyond binary thinking. We don't all just conveniently fit in two caps. As much as people try their darndest to put us in those boxes, I'm hoping that through these interviews, we can get to a place together where there is space for us all and we feel um, like we belong. Thank you. I, I really wanted to begin this episode by just giving you all, the audience out there listening, wherever you are in the world, just a big shout out and to say thank you for supporting our work. It really does mean a lot when we get pinged uh, on posts where you share our podcast with your friends and family. Um, we recently got an email from a listener all the way in Tokyo, Japan. Hello, if you're out there and still listening. Um, and they let us know that they really enjoyed the program and messages like that, emails like that really do mean a lot. So thank you to everyone out there all over the world that is listening to our podcast. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at thr. DSPC. So that's third space without any vowels. And um, if you want to follow me, um, my handle is at F is for FISA. Now for today's guest, our guest today is Amber Vittoria. Amber is an artist that is working in New York City. Her pieces really focus on femininity and the female form. She leverages physical uh, traits such as overtly extended limbs and rounded features. It's really, really beautiful work. Um, if you want to check out her work, um, she is at Amber Vittoria, that's V-I-T-T-O-R-I-A dot com. Amber is a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient. She's worked with Gucci. She's worked with Teen Vogue, Adidas, Refinery29, Marc Jacobs. The list goes on and on and on. It was such a pleasure talking with Amber. She is um, just really pleasant and insightful. And we not only talk about her artistic process and what brought her into um, the arts, but we also talk about the business of being an independent artist and being able to make a living with your art. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoy it as well. Here's my conversation with Amber Victoria. I heard about you long before we met Your winsome man said Underneath your glitter and your gold You can't deny the fact that you are growing old Yeah, it's it's not often that you, you see uh, work that has a focus on female form that is void of of like a male gaze, you know, it's just like, it just doesn't happen that often. And so I'm just so, so, so drawn to your work. But before we get to your wonderful work, um, I want to know a bit of your origin story. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? If you went to school, um, just a little background on you. 
Yeah. So for people listening that are like, who is this lady? <laughs> My name is Amber Vittoria. Um, I'm an illustrator and I currently live in New York City. I grew up about an hour and a half to two hours north of New York City in a smaller town called Patterson, New York. And I always loved drawing and creating and making things and you know drawing with crayons and walls you know the definitely (laughs) definitely the stereotype I fit that um and I was very fortunate that my parents saw that and embraced embraced it when I was pretty young and Mm. um they kind of let my brother and I just take like all of the classes like our library had a lot of like free art classes I can remember and just like a rec center in town so like we would just take all those outside of class in addition to in class and in school and um you know over time I was a very like decisive child I was like "Mm, I don't want to do gymnastics anymore and they're like all right (laughs) and then I'm like I also don't want to do baton twirling they're like okay we just $85 on your uniform but okay (laughs) I was I was like "Mm, I apologize to my parents all the time I was like I'm sorry as a brat of a child they're like you weren't you were just very decisive um so art was something that I always loved to do as I grew older so um when I got into high school, I took all the art classes that I could that our school offered. And that's kind of when I narrowed in that I knew I wanted to do art somehow in my life. Um, being, I guess, 14 at the time, I didn't really mm. know what that looks like. I was like, what can you do? Um, one of my art teachers in high school, he's a comic book artist. Um, and he has just had such a cool career and so he's like yeah that's one path you know but there are so many others another was a graphic designer for a while and they were like you could really do anything um which was great but also Mm. not helpful i mean it's very helpful but i was also like "Mm, this leans into my indecision so i um went through high school and got to the point where i started to apply to college i knew that i wanted to go to college just because i liked learning in that type of like academic setting i mean i didn't really know much else other than that um right so something's like oh i really want to do that um but i didn't want to go to just an art school i wanted to go to a school that had majors that were outside of art just so i could meet people that study other things um because i thought that that was important um so i applied to as many schools as I could and um, <laughs> ended up going to Boston university's college of fine arts. And there mm-hmm. I studied graphic design. Um, and I chose design kind of circling back to the idea of not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I liked that design, at least in my 18 year old brain allowed me to, you know, play with paint and illustrate and do photography mm-hmm. and like put all those things together to tell a story um, instead of picking a major that was a painting major or a sculptor, a sculpture major. So that was kind of my decision-making when going into that major and BU's program at the time kind of leaned into that. The first two years were like very heavily rooted in fine art, drawing, painting, printmaking, and sculpture. And then the last two years were really where design thinking was introduced. So like typography and grid systems and things like that. Um, mm. so I think, now having some hindsight being at a school for almost almost a decade um i think that that combination of both really allowed me to find my way into illustration like approaching you know drawing with a design lens but also 
um, having that fine art background, I think that that mm-hmm. combination really led to illustration. Before I keep on, my fiance, he's on the phone now, so I'm going to move myself into the bathroom. <laughs> we live in like a one bedroom and our bedroom is on a floor above us, but there's no door. So you're going to, he's a loud talker, so you're going to hear him a lot. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. You know, what's been so lovely about doing these podcasts is like, I feel like I enter people's home during quarantine so I just get like really awesome ambient noise so no it's all good um so sorry did you did you have something else to add uh, or or I I can ask you another question I didn't want to cut you off no so that's kind of like the long short of it and then I graduated um, and I worked full-time as a graphic designer for about six years and then Mm. I was able to freelance on the side as an illustrator and then eventually I was able to quit my full-time job and work full-time as an illustrator. So that brings me, that's, that's 30 years in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the foresight to, to take um, graphic design as your major, it, it's also like a, a good, like a practical choice as well, you know, um, because you you can walk out of school and get a job and you can get a job in in any industry with that degree while also pursuing your creative in, endeavors so yeah it's, it seems like a good fit also it i never really thought about graphic design this way but you're absolutely right it is one of those mediums that allows you to incorporate all of the other creative impulses you have like photography or painting um and sketching um and typography like all of that can can really be encompassed in graphic design and I always I don't know I don't know why I never thought about it in that way but it makes absolute sense um so I want to go back to your parents um because it, it it's you know it's it really isn't that often when you know you have a kid takes a crayon and starts marking up the walls that parents are like, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That's cool. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about your upbringing made it possible for, for your parents to really be open and accepting to your early creative impulses? Yeah. I think that the crayon on the wall was when they were like, okay, we got to put her in class because <laughs> painting the wall a billion times gets expensive. <laughs> I think that was really what that was. They're like, oh, okay. Yes. She likes the art. Oh. <laughs> um, but my parents are incredible. Um, they uh, really just allowed my brother and I to kind of just explore what we wanted to do and they're very much still proponent of like you know you can still always change your mind like you're still very young right like it can evolve and or you might get to a point where you're like I don't want to do this anymore and like that's okay um so it's really fortunate that they both um supported that um yeah I I don't know. I think that they, I'm very fortunate to have them as parents just because, um, other adult forces in my life were not as, um, encouraging. I feel like a lot of my mm. teachers in high school that taught math and science and I did excel in those. I mean, you know, I, I, I guess I just excelled at the school system that America has set up currently, which, um, right. is a, I feel like not everybody is suited for that system. And for whatever reason, 
Um, I was. Um, right. So that's why I like say like I excelled at math and science, but like not really. I just did. <laughs> I did well in the system, <laughs> like uh, the way that they taught us. So um, right, a lot right. of my teachers would be like, "Well, you should get into math and science. Like, you're never gonna be able to get a job if you go into the arts. Like, you know, you have to be really smart. Like, your life is going to be a struggle." And my parents were like, "Well, you know, in some respects, like every type of career you go into is going to have." struggle so you may as well enjoy what you're doing because whether you're like a research scientist or a doctor or a lawyer or a mathematician or an artist like you're going to face some hurdles just because that's just the nature of life and work so you may as well pick a path that you enjoy so it's not something that you're doing just because you're good at it so um that I thought really kind of helped me as I grew older and I started to apply to schools um and the other reason I guess too that I picked a university that had more than just an art school is like, cause maybe I would have changed my mind. I remember right. thinking, you know, like, well, I really love art and I've loved it and I'm only 18. And you know, like I'm, I don't, I could change my mind. Who knows? And I would hate to go to an art school where like, I was very fortunate that my parents helped me pay for a majority of my college. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can't do that to them and be like, Hey guys, I tried out for two years. I hate it. Time to go to another school for another. Right. <laughs> so right. like, um, I tried to be pretty strategic about that as well. Um, but it turned out that I did love it. So I, uh, I stuck it out. That's awesome. Yeah. I just, I, I feel like, um, that was such a great gift that your parents gave you the, just the, the knowledge that joy is really important, um, in whatever endeavor you, uh, want to, you know, um, you want to kind of go after, um, and the, the possibility of like, you know, being able to change your mind, you know, and that, and, and teaching a young person that it's all right to change your mind. I think those are two like important lessons for all of us, but certainly for an artist to, to really embody. Um, so you graduate from BU, what happens next? So I was fortunate that my parents let me move home um, which wasn't too far from New York City. So I was like, all right, I think I can get a job there and commute. So I moved home um, and I was home for about a year. And in that year, I applied to a lot of full-time jobs and like permalance jobs. And I started finding, well, I continued to find work. I started in my senior year of college, just finding like freelance design and illustration projects on Craigslist that I can do um, mm. for some money. And that's when I was like, ooh, I want to work for myself. And my parents like, that's a great goal. They're like, but maybe, you know, it might be <laughs> for you to work full time so you could kind of like learn how to work with others because in school, right. you do like group projects, but like you really don't do group projects, especially at least in Matt BU. Like I remember doing like one group project and that was kind of it. And it was fun, but it was like one out of four years. Whereas like your whole life, working is collaborative all the time. <laughs> so, right, right, um, right. But they're like, you know, if you do want to freelance, I'd like that's okay too. But, you know, maybe that might be a good uh, lesson. And I was like, yeah, that's true. So I just applied for everything, essentially. And it's like, whatever comes up first that can help me start paying down the loans that I do have, like, great. <laughs> um, so yeah. uh, I did, I got, uh, I started off as a permalancer, which in hindsight is don't do that. Um, you should have health insurance and all that stuff, which that's a right. whole other topic, but yeah. Um, so I started off. So wait, can you explain what that is? It's, it's, it's basically 
someone that is in a permanent state of like freelancing, which means you don't get a bunch of benefits and, and also you kind of get screwed at the end of the year around taxes, unless you're constantly putting aside money. Uh, Right. A hundred percent. So yeah, that's it. So freelance is like, you know, what I do now, which is, you know, you get different types of jobs from companies. It could be in-house for a few weeks or a few months and then, or remote, depending on the type of uh, creative that you are. Um, But permalance is exactly what you said. It's just like a full-time job without the benefits. I mean, hopefully we could get to a place where we don't need to rely on employment for health, but in 2012, that was something that, and it still is something that um, are tethered together. But um, yeah, so I was a permalancer at Victoria's Secret as a web designer. And I was probably freelance there or permalance there for six months. And then they brought me on full time. And I was lucky that, you know, because of the Affordable Care Act, I didn't have to worry about health insurance until I was 26. And I had that job when I was 20. Yeah, right when I graduated. I could do math. (laughs) (laughs) So I was there for a while and um, everybody that worked there was really nice and like taught me a lot about collaborating and working in a very fast paced environment. Um, But after a while, I think that with hindsight, um, you know, retouch, light retouching on like photography to fit for web and doing web design Mm. photography of like a very specific type of model, I definitely think um, knocked on my self-esteem. That paired with, um, you know, kind of getting bored of doing the same branding day in and day out. Um, right. I think I'm ready for a move uh, to somewhere else. So that was about a year and a half in total. And when I was looking, I was a little bit afraid of ad agencies just because of, you know, the stereotype of like, you're going to have no life. Good luck. Um, right. But I wanted to learn the skill of juggling different brand identities at the same time. Cause I'm like, well, I'm still kind of finding mm. freelance illustration projects on Craigslist. And I think it might be smart to kind of learn how to kind of flip flop between different, you know, brands or like clients in air quotes. So um, right. I, a friend of mine from college worked at a social media ad agency called Vayner Media, and mm-hmm. they were looking for designers. So that's where I ended up moving. And then I was there for about two and a half years. I got promoted to being an art director, and it was really fun to design and illustrate for social media. Um, but the hours were um, pretty tough, uh, I feel like, just like most agencies. And I knew that I wanted to illustrate more and I was doing less of it, which, you know, did kind of affect my happiness. And um, I was like, you know what, I, I think I could freelance full time as an illustrator. I'm just I'm not comfortable just quitting and doing it yet. So right. um, my last full time job as of recent, um, I worked at Avon, which is that hundred year old beauty company. And that mm-hmm. was a web design position similar to that of Victoria's Secret. Um, but the hours there were much more um, static. So it was like very much a nine to five. And I was afforded back all of this time physically and emotionally to start making illustration work. And that's when I started to put my work out there more oh. on the internet. I was always very hesitant to kind of like outwardly share it. And I was like, you know what, if you want to work for yourself, you're just going to have to shamelessly be like, hey, hire me. So that's really when I started to put that work out there and slowly was able to kind of build um, client lists and projects. And then after a year and a half at Avon is when I quit and went um, full-time freelance as an illustrator. I've been doing that for almost three years. Yeah. So... And what was your hesitation um, in the beginning in terms of putting your work out there? I know 
uh, with some artist friends that I have, sometimes it's also about kind of guarding your work because there's just so much stealing that happens while you're maybe working through an idea and then suddenly you see it somewhere else. And so I'm, I'm curious what, what the hesitation was for you. Was it about like, you know, uh, just being a little bit more tender and guarded about your work or, or uh, just confidence or what was it? I definitely think it was confidence just because I'd always make these illustrations for myself. And then, you know, for the few odd Craigslist jobs that I would find. And, (laughs) um, I just like, couldn't, I was like, I don't want to put anything out there until I know like who I am, air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and then I got to a point where I was like, well, that's silly. You're kind of like sabotaging yourself. Just like put it out there. And I think I was also afraid of what, how other people would react. And, um, I think it was just like, you know, just put it out there and, you know, you only have your friends as your followers. So like, they're obviously going to support you. Um, right. So that's what, that's kind of what got me over that hurdle. And then, um, as I started sharing my work, I was very fortunate that a lot of people were like, Oh my God, that reminds me of me. And I was like, Oh, highest compliment ever. So then that kind of just kind of encouraged me to continue to make and share that work and reach out to different like publications and brands that, you know, similarly align with the messaging within my work and, get more freelance work. So it was very much um, helpful to have, you know, friends and family that were supportive of me putting that work out there because uh, I'm definitely my own worst critic for sure. (laughs) Yeah, we all, we all are, you know, we all are. Um, So why is your work primarily focused on female form? Why was that important for you? Yeah. So kind of going back to when I was in college and going to different galleries and museums in Boston. And then when I was home um, on summer break in New York, and then beyond that, when I graduated and I started working in, um, you know, at Victoria's Secret and then in advertising, it's just the depictions of women in fine art and in media. Um, I just like, I couldn't relate to. And even though they are valid depictions of womanhood, I just didn't feel like they depicted who I was as a woman. And I was like, this stinks. Mm. So I started to make artwork where I could relate to the figures that were being depicted, you know, kind of in my own way, using like bright shapes and colors and patterns and just kind of like how I processed the world. And that really kind of helped me get my self-confidence back. Um, So that's something that developed pretty shortly after I graduated school and started working full time. I was like, I have to find myself somewhere. Um, And then when I started sharing that work and other people were saying they saw themselves in my work, I was like, oh, yeah, this is uh, this is not just me. I'm not alone and kind of not feeling confident in myself. And so I kind of use my artwork as that outlet to find that confidence again. Well, and I, I have to say, when I discovered your work, I, um, I, I, you know, probably sound like a lot of the other fans of your work, but yeah, I, I felt like I saw myself because, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> because um, these women seemed like full, you know, they didn't seem like empty and vapid or like, you know, just like an empty glass, they seemed full and they, and they, even, even if it was like full of pain or confusion or love or 
confidence or direction or power, they seemed full, you know, and, um, and I think that's probably what makes your work to me stand out so, uh, so much because it's not often you see a female form that isn't in relationship to, to a man somehow, you know, like you, you either, you know, I think you mentioned fine art, but there's like, you know, so many examples in fine art where women are either, you know, uh, absolutely nude and, and not, and nudity is, is wonderful and, 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 and beautiful, but, but there's always this really exploitative gaze, you know, um, or whatever, like that just, there's, there's so many examples, but it's always in relationship to, um, um, you know, men or manhood in some way. And, uh, and this, and, and your, your, your woman is, it seems like so singularly herself and so full. Um, and I wonder like, how, how did you develop, uh, this particular form, you know, each, each of, each of your, uh, illustrations paintings are so uniquely different but there is kind of like a, a, a like a binding thread to it all so I, I'm, I'm curious how you cultivated that point of view as an artist yeah. um yeah so yeah I mean 100% I think to the fine art point yeah I feel like the categories I've put it in which I feel like art historians are gonna eye roll but for me it's, <laughs> for me is like either um very maternal um, overtly sexual or a religious commission, like that kind of mm. became, like the buckets that I would see when it like depicted, um, at least in like, museums in Boston, like that kind of seemed to be the pattern. Um, right. Yeah. So like, you know, exactly a hundred percent, you said like nudity is valid and like, those are all, you know, valid interpretations of womanhood, but yes, they're always in relation to men somehow. And that's kind of what I struggled with, I think the most, um, but to, the answer the question (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, so like how I developed my own kind of take on it is um, or on how I you know draw my form is I looked back in a lot of uh, sketchbooks that I made when I was younger and I started noticing all of these uh, patterns that I would make subconsciously throughout the years so like the way I drew eyes or noses or mouths or just like I have, I got to scan them in. I keep saying this and I forget, but like every year in elementary school, we would do a self-portrait and they would staple them all together. And in fourth grade, when you graduated, you had five of them. So inclusive of kindergarten, um, of the, how you drew yourself as you grew older. And I always, oh, that's such my, a good idea. It's so smart. I was like, good job. MPES, like good job. <laughs> like, that's such a good idea. Oh my God. Awesome. I'm like, you know, if I have a kid, like I'm going to do that. Even if the school doesn't do that, the kids would be like, I don't want to I'm like do it <laughs> Just for me, <laughs> my poor child. Um, but yeah, so all of the, all five of them, like, had a very, like, distinct relationship between them, even though I was, like, rapidly learning how to draw, you know, humans, essentially, you know, it's not just, like, a stick with, like, five sticks for your hand, you know, by the time I hit fourth grade, I kind of knew how to draw a hand, but all of them, like, I feel like I took up the entire frame of this page, and, like, um, as I grew older into middle school, high school, and then college, like, 
all these patterns kind of started to solidify themselves. And I didn't really notice it until I started looking back at these sketchbooks. Um, I would say shortly after I graduated school and I was like, Hmm, you know what? Like I've kind of been doing this all along. Let me lean into it, um, consciously and see what comes of it. So that's kind of, Oh, that's like the evolution of my work, at least in the last five years is me just leaning into previous work. So like I've been doing a lot of like pulled paint paintings and recently, and that's something that I've done for a while, just kind of for myself. And like, I'd share them and they wouldn't do well on Instagram and I took them down and then that evolved into spray paint. And then it kind of became like this digital spray paint. And then like, what is, what is, what is a pulled painting oh like pulled paint kind of like you put paint on the page and then you take the brush and oh and then you just it. drag it yeah okay it. okay okay i'm like how do i explain this <laughs> yeah 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 no i i've seen it on your page yeah, yeah so like that kind of is just the evolution of all of the ones before that and it will probably continue wow. to evolve beyond it so i try to always like lean back into work that i've made in the past and see how i could kind of push it to tell a narrative that I want to tell presently. So, um, but when people ask me about my style, I always like to caveat it with, even though I definitely fall into the stereotype of like, you know, you look at the body of my work and it's pretty obvious that it comes from one person. I do like to Mm -hmm. tell other artists that it doesn't have to like your style be thematic just because it comes from you. It is inherently yours. They don't all have to look similar. Um, so that's kind of, that's my take on, my style and how it relates to the overarching conversation about style with uh, artists and artwork. And what is your process when you, uh, when you are creating one of your pieces? Is it something that uh, feels like work and you're kind of devoting time during your day each day to create something? Or is it something that feels like you know, kind of uh, like a genius that's passing through you and you're trying to capture what, what is the the process for you? I would say definitely the former. Um, I like to, I use probably leftover from my agency days. I use Google calendar for everything because I can't remember anything. And then obviously <laughs> I do remember, and then I put it in my Google calendar incorrectly. So it helps kind of. <laughs> the time. Um, so I'll actually block off time to draw or paint or illustrate for myself in addition to client work and that just kind of allows me to play and explore when I was younger I always felt that I had to have this like amazing incredible idea before I started making work and as I grew older I realized that if I just start making something an idea tends to come out of that like a narrative Mm. that like it will spark a memory of mine that might have an important story or it might spark something that I saw on the news that I think is important to address. So uh, mm. I kind of take that approach of just like start making something and the worst case scenario after the hour of two of making, you know, nothing comes of it, save it in your unused folder. And then eventually, you know, maybe a few months, a few years from now, it, something might come of it. So I definitely try to put in the work instead of kind of waiting for something um, to come to me, but sometimes that happens too. Uh, but I right. it's predominantly, you know, putting the work in and kind of calendaring that out. Yeah. Well, and I think this is such an important, um, lesson for anyone out there listening, um, that not that it's, it's about the work because obviously it, it is, but no trusting that, within yourself, you know, you create, you create, um, 
female forms that are so like full, but, but you yourself are full. So even if you could just get to the desk and start creating something, the fullness within you creates something really beautiful, you know, and it will come to a beautiful place. And I think it's just so important for people to hear that and whatever thing they're going through in their life that you're like the totality of all of your experiences, uh, make you equipped to kind of addressing the thing that's right in front of you. All you and and the but the, the decision you have to make, the choice is like always coming to the thing and being prepared to do the work. Uh and and then the solution comes, hopefully. That <laughs> you was know? so eloquent. Yes, that that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> that's what I was like, I'm not saying this correctly. That is it. That's exactly it. That was so beautiful. Oh, that's funny. Um you know, I, I've 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 spoken to artists before, and I one of the challenges that comes up for many artists is how do you balance uh, doing the work and 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 then the business of 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 your of of your artwork? How do you market yourself and sell yourself and advocate for yourself and you know get people to notice your work? Tell me about your journey as a business person and um, and I guess an advocate for your work and and how how you got to a place where your your work became self-sustaining and you could quit that job and and really devote a hundred percent of your time on on your art and your business. Yeah, so um, I feel like historically a lot of illustrators would find an agent or a rep and that rep would then find them work. And they wouldn't have to worry too much about um, the business side. And so when I was working full time, that's kind of the only path that I thought that made sense. I was like, yeah, sure, I should just I'll get a rep. <laughs> and then I would just email all these reps and either not hear back or they'd be like, oh, cool, your work's fine. But like, we're not interested, which is great. Fine. Um, but then I, the more I got those, I was like, oh man, like if I ever want to freelance full-time, how am I going to find work? So then I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to people on my own. So I used Instagram, um, pre- predominantly the algorithm and went in the discover page and kind of trained it, if you will, to kind of serve me brands and publications that, you know, aligned with the work I was sharing. And then I just send a cold email essentially being like, Hey, I'm Amber. This is what my work's about. I'd love to work with you. You know, hopefully I'll hear from you soon. Something a little more eloquent than that. And that's how <laughs> I find most of my work to this day. And I still do outreach. I try to, I block off time three times a week, about 30, 45 minutes, you know, three days a week to send outreach. And while I'm on Instagram, I'm always saving different brands that I think are interesting. Um, mm. And I love working with smaller brands. Um, but it's been nice that bigger brands too have then found my work and reached out to me with time. Um, so I think that the cycle of like putting myself out there, even if I don't hear back from somebody, sometimes like years later, I'll get an email from a brand. They're like, Hey, I worked at this smaller brand when you reached out and like, you know, I left, but now I'm at this new brand. And I think that we could do a lab. So like it, even when you don't hear back or you do get no's, like, I think that that's great. And eventually something will come for you. I'm very much the type of person that even though inside, you know, you still get a little sad or uh, upset, you know, that whatever is meant for you, you will get. And I think that that's what I kind of take with me when I do 
um, get no's. So I do my own outreach. And then in terms of like other business things like taxes, um, my dad's an accountant, which is very... Yes, dad. God. So he taught me how to do my own taxes and quarterly payments and all that. Wow. Use the fancy Excel, you know, equations to kind of do the math for me because I I was good at math as a kid, but as an adult, not as much. (laughs) So he taught me a few years ago how to do that, um, which was very helpful um, to keep track. And yeah, I just keep track of my um, income monthly and then, you know, you pay quarterly. um, And that really kind of helps me balance in terms of like just kind of sustaining myself and like how much I pay myself each month. And um, trying to think of what else business wise, but yeah, outreach for work is all me. Um, I've done some trials with some agents. I just started today another trial with, um, kind of more of like a finer agency that's based in Europe. So I'm always willing to, you know, experiment and, you know, try working with others, you know, to see how I could get my work out there in ways that I couldn't do on my own. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I am still kind of green at this, but it's only been almost three years full time, at least. And so I'm always trying to be flexible in ways of how I could, you know, get my work out there and continue to support myself. And when, uh, I guess maybe tell me about the time you got a client, maybe it was a bigger client that, that really made an impact or made you feel like, Oh, wait, like I've arrived somehow, you know, I've, I've gotten some validation because X brand or X company wants to work or collaborate. Yeah, I would say, um, I would say I was still working full time and I was freelancing on the side as at Avon. And um, there's this competition called Young Guns. It's by Mm -hmm. the One Club. It used to be by the Art Directors Club. And I mean, my perspective on awards has changed since, but, um, you know, I just was making my own work and I like had, you know, a few projects under my belt and like I was feeling good, but I was a little nervous to quit. And, um, I was like, let me apply to young guns again. I applied when I was like 24 and didn't get it. And I've always wanted to get it since college. Cause it was like the big thing we would all talk about in class. Which is, <laughs> um, so I was 27, how old was I? 26. I don't know, around there, mid twenties. And so a few years later I applied again and I was like, let's see. And then I got it and I was like, Oh, Whoa, this is cool. Like, wow. Yeah. I don't know why in my mind that kind of set off the confidence for me to be like, okay, like I definitely can do this full time for myself. And between that and just like the accumulation of client work, I was like, you know what? I think I could swing it. And I was also in a position financially where I don't have any dependents you know, I had my now fiance, then boyfriend, um, be like, you know, obviously if you need help, like I have a full-time job and my parents were always like, yeah, and you can move home if you need to. So like to have right. that financial support system right. was helpful. Um, but I don't know why, for whatever reason, that award was very much like the tip off of like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, but now that I'm a bit older, a lot of people, um, a lot of artists will ask me, they're like, is it worth applying to awards? Is it... Uh, and, and I think for me, it was always about, you know, helping my confidence. So I would always apply to them as a very selfish 
um, endeavor, a lot of awards right. are very expensive. So there's that barrier to entry and expensive, super right. expensive ones I don't do. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to spend $500 to enter into award. Like I could work on my confidence on my own and save some money. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like, there are some competitions that are free or like they have like, you know, single entries that are like $35. I'm like, mm, okay, I could swing that. Um, but for awards in terms of like, other people finding my work, uh, unless they haven't told me, no client has ever said, oh, I found your work because you won this award. It's always been, right. I found your work on Instagram or I found it on Pinterest. And usually people find my work just because of the output that I've done. So like, even though the, the award definitely helped with my confidence to kind of work full time, I do like to caveat that with like, you don't have to apply for awards to get work. It just, for me, it worked for my for my confidence level, I would say. Yeah. And, and th that's, that's a valid enough reason. You know, I, I think when you are doing anything and, and you receive a lot of um, rejection, it's, it's hard not to internalize that rejection and continue doing your work. So if you are seeking some validation, even if it's like, even I want my, project, like you were saying, exactly, exactly. You know, and I think, I think it's completely, completely valid. And even if, again, just as long as it gives you that like mark on the road that says like, Hey, you're headed in the right direction, keep going, you know? And, and there are people like me that have, you know, seen your art and it's just impacted me in such a beautiful way yeah. that like, that it's just so wonderful you. that you've, you know, you've kept going. I'm curious about who, who some of your um, inspirations were kind of as a art student and, and now as, as a full-fledged artist and, and, and woman, uh, who some of your inspirations are now? Yeah. Um, I would say off the top of my head, um, James Victori, he's a, a graphic designer and his work has always been an inspiration. I was lucky enough to meet him a few times and he's just very, very wise and um, his work has always resonated with me. Um, I also really love uh, Carrie James Marshall. His work, mm. his paintings are beautiful. My brother got me his, um, his book from, he did, it was like the Contemporary Museum of Contemporary Art Chicago, MoMA, and then I think Lack Lack. Um, and that was like a traveling um, exhibition. My brother got me that book for Christmas. I was like, this is the most beautiful thing in the world. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so Carrie James Marshall, his work is really amazing. Um, it's beautiful. I also love Georgia O'Keeffe's work. It's cool to go to the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum. I think it's in New Mexico. I feel like my brain mm. on quarantine is just like. <laughs> But it was really nice to kind of see how her work evolved and like how her work came about and how abstract it is, but how the layers of messaging messaging within her work that really resonated with me. Um, George Kondo was a big inspiration to me in college, even though that never uh, like I don't know why I, like I can never I can never paint like that. All these people I can never paint like any of them, but like they just their work was just really inspiring. And then I guess. The last one that popped in my brain was uh, Barbara Kruger. Her work is also, she's like a designer. Um, her work, I guess, um, most famously was kind of like ripped off by Supreme. The Supreme logo is essentially like a watered down version of her work. Oh, no. um, but her work is really beautiful and um, it, it's incredible. So 
Uh, yeah, I would say all of them. And they still, all of them are still very much big inspirations um, to me. Just like even seeing their work in a museum, you're like, whoa. Mm. Like, this is, like you get such an emotional reaction from it. So it's like, man, that's, that's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think we're the sum of our inspirations, uh, at least like Selfish our... Power, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In term, even even aspirationally, you know that we like. Yeah, if that's if that's the diet, if that's what you're ingesting. Then it's like anything that you create is going to be beautiful. You know, um, I'm curious about what some of the challenges have been as a woman artist in this moment in time. I, I notice sometimes on your um, on your Instagram there are like these. Um, these pieces where they're, they look like hand-drawn notes. Um, the most recent one is like another day, another man with bad ideas gets the spotlight, yeah. you know? And uh, that rang true to me. Uh, and I'm curious, <laughs> um, yeah, where that, what, what that comes, what that particular statement, where that came from. And then also just like what some of the general challenges are for you. Yeah, that one in particular, I would say I wrote it back in January and then I kind of held on to it. And I feel like, even though I can't remember the exact thing, it was definitely our current, you know, administration in the United States. Um, and right. But I shared it during the pandemic. And I definitely think that um, it's just how this administration has handled everything so poorly and it's like you know you see all these brilliant people that could lead that aren't men and our society just doesn't allow for that to happen but instead propels men to fail forward instead of propelling others to take that leadership and lead people in a way that I think um, would be more beneficial than what has been happening. Um, so that's kind of why mm. I decided to share it. So sometimes I'll make work and I'll just kind of sit on it. Cause I'm like, I don't a hundred percent know what it means, but I know that it's rings true for me. And then I kind of like sit with it and eventually it kind of catches up, you know, what that meant to me, why I kind of like weirdly just like put that in my sketchbook and I was like, ah, out of anger. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely, that's where that piece came from in general. And then I think that, um, being a woman in the arts, cause you know, it's the experience that I have, you know, you go to museums and galleries, a majority of the work is, um, that's shown is by male artists. So like to your point earlier about the male gaze and like just how women are portrayed in a very specific way. Um, it was also tough and it still is tough to just see how many artists that do well or are out there when you like, you know, when you ask any person on the street, like some of your favorite artists, most, if not all of them will probably be men because that's what our art history has done. Like it, Right. only saves the work of white men and there's right. many other incredible artists out there that I hope that eventually that that art history will change um, but all of those I just think are smaller struggles that you know you kind of um, internalize every day and you kind of have to unlearn like hey like I know that this is what art history has been but you know hopefully I can help change it and me and other people other artists that are alive today can help change that narrative so um, it's just like a conscious slow progress of unlearning that kind of societal stereotype that you know we were born into 
And and it and it's a kind of um, yeah erasure that you're talking about, you know, because the work is out there, the folks are out there that are doing the work, and and if we omit them from history, we omit them from museums, then it it's like they they don't exist. And I I completely agree with you in terms of just the current political climate and and how absolutely frustrating it is to see that every single country that has had a woman as the leader of that country has handled the pandemic so beautifully, Honestly, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, as women we are 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 really kind of conditioned to listen to the smart people that are around us to to know that that you know we uh we we respect experts that we can be decisive that we uh, have to be we were kind of cultivated to be really more holistic thinkers and so you just see that in in the world and it and it's so it is really um, incredibly frustrating um, to, like you said, to to see time and time again men failing forward in this way. Um, and oftentimes, I, I feel like uh, women and folks of color um, get opportunities when things are so it's like so 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 terrible like that's when you see like the spike in female CEOs and like yeah. when a company is like crashing, you know, <laughs> and um, you know. Who knows? I hope that this means that there's like a, like a gaping opportunity for leaders that are already out there to step into a space because we so desperately we so desperately need them. Um, yeah. I guess this would be a good time to 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 talk about. Um, I guess not only the political climate, but also the kind of racial. Um, inequity in the country and 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 how you process that as an artist i i've seen that you've been really kind of vocal about um about taking an anti-racist uh like uh, stance uh, during this particular time and and i'm curious um what that means to you what that looks like to you and then also maybe how that manifests in your work yeah so for me i think that you know myself included all white Americans, we are very overdue for the fact that we have, we live in a country that has oppressed black people for so long. And it's unfortunate that it took a murder of a black man for us to all wake the fuck up, honestly. And so for me, and for me, what I've been doing is I'm trying to do as much learning and researching as possible. And back to our earlier point about the erasure of history like in school, we very much learn a whitewashed version of American history. And it's like, how am I 30 years old? How have I not done this research to know about all of these other stories that are American history that right. aren't of white people? So for me, what I'm trying to do is to, whenever I do learn something or find a resource through another person, whether I follow mainly artists. So another artist, likely um, either mm -hmm. on Instagram, on the internet, I try to just share that information from a point of view of like, Hey, if I didn't know this, like get to bet some money that other people didn't know it either. And it's important to know it because we need to change it for the future. So um, that's what I've been doing with at least my social media, like Instagram. And then in terms of my artwork, it's 
definitely important for me to also take a look at the work that I'm making and ensuring that it is inclusive and respectful. And what does that mean? How, as I'm portraying women going forward. So these are all things that um, I'm actively working on. Um, and it's, it's sad that it took me you know, this long to start doing that more actively than I had been in the past. Yeah. You know, I, um, what you were saying earlier about like the algorithm, I feel like, um, oftentimes we, you know, white Americans and and black Americans live in such different realities. And, and a lot of it, especially since we're also on social media and, and, and it's, it's like, it's, it's a kind of, it's a country that folks kind of self-segregate. There are also housing policies and, and, you know, racist hiring practices that force a kind of segregation as well. But it, there, it's, it's always like so surprising to me. Like when I look through like my, my feed or my like Facebook wall and, and, and my Facebook feed, like what I'm, um, what I'm exposed to. And, and then, you know, walking around thinking like, well, everyone's seen that video that I saw last week or yesterday and, and everyone's having a heavy day at the office today or, or finding it hard to get out of bed. And then you move through the world and you realize like, oh no, Uh actually (laughs) no. And, and it does feel like there are two realities. And I think this is why, um, it was really important for me to create this podcast and why this podcast is called The Third Space. It's really like a way to kind of move a- away from these binaries, it, I mean, beyond like black and white, but also just like the, the, the kind of political binary, um, gendered binary, like all of these ways where we we separate each other and and find uh, and 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 lose the nuance um and 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 i guess like lose practice on how to uh relate to each other because because we have we have it there and so when we stay at our particular camp it's like you you can that like you said that algorithm just becomes like more and more uh a tool that keeps you seeing um things that that you like and and um and reaffirms the opinions you already have and and connects you with people that maybe look like you and you know and and so there is like a digital uh divide that also happens and um and with with the death of George Floyd it's like you know, I think for, for black people, it was like, wow, is, is this the catalytic moment that, that folks are really going to engage and, and, and what will, what will, what will happen, you know? And, and, um, I, I find that there are some people that are moving on and I have noticed that you are one of those, uh, voices, uh, online that, um, is, is, is really not, letting this this message um go away so i think it's really special also i find that like any time i see any female form that has like a brown tone i like buy it you know because i'm like when is this gonna happen again (laughs) you know (laughs) like and it's the same way that you were describing like like not being able to see yourself and then creating work and it's like oh 
this feels like more like myself, you know, I think there, I think sometimes we're all really scared, especially with this kind of like cancel culture. We're all really scared of like making attempts and, and, you know, but I think, I think you're coming from the right place, you know, in terms of approaching your work and, and being respectful, but also inclusive. And, and, and I think, yeah, I think you're on the right path. Yeah. And I, that's what, um, and I feel like to your point of the algorithm too, I feel like a lot of people are like, Oh, the algorithm's infallible. It's like the algorithm is made by people. So it's inherently right. infallible. <laughs> so like I right. it runs by a computer, but like, mm. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. So like, I feel like when people are like, but it, the algorithm is this, you know, like being, I'm like, no, we can fix the algorithm to be inclusive. Like an algorithm is very much a reflection of, as a digital reflection of like an in-person life you know uh, absolutely but then yeah in terms of um you know cancel culture my point of view is like you know we're human we're going to mess up just like in everything that we do right. you know what i mean so like i think that it's important and i'm grateful when people are like hey like you know i'm not too sure about this thing or like hey like fyi i don't know if you knew this um i'm always very thankful for that because it's like thank you for taking the time to educate me like it's not your job um, but I appreciate that. And like, I try to do that for others. Like, you know, especially um, a lot of men in my life, uh, they'll say something and I'm like, Hey, I know you don't think this way, but that's inherently sexist. And I'll explain to you why. And so right. I think that that's really important. I know, I think as humans, we're very afraid of, you know, failing or misstepping or saying something wrong. But I think if we embrace the fact that like, we're human, we're gonna do something wrong at some point in our life, we're not perfect. Um, and be thankful for those that are willing to teach us when we do make those mistakes, uh, mistakes and missteps. Um, hopefully I think that will kind of, um, bring us to a place where we can, you know, know more and have more empathy for other people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it, it's a, it's a cultivated skill to be able to be so committed to your growth that if someone brings something to your attention, it doesn't feel like an attack, exactly. but, but, but feels like, Hey, this is this is somebody that's also trying to see a better version of myself, and 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 my response should be like thank you and not like hostility. And I think, yeah, um, I think so many people are in this kind of like trauma loop where they they just want to be so defensive and yeah. and um, and that just becomes so dangerous and and so like physically and psychically harmful for Black folks that feel like. I can't say anything, you know, without these repercussions. So I think, I think, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something we all have to do. We all have blind spots, you know, in terms of our ableism or, uh, or, you know, just like, you know, for me, when I was like 12, 13, I had such a huge blind spot on the LGBTQ community, you know, and it took some friends sitting me down and saying like, Hey, you should really stop saying that shit, you know? <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, uh, I'm sorry. I'm an asshole, but I'm going to, I'm going to make these shifts. And again, like you said, you didn't have to teach me and I am, I'm sorry. And I appreciate you, you know, really like, yeah, helping me come to terms with that. And, and, and that will continue to happen many times in, in, in your life. Um, I guess this this is a good time to 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 discuss like this is the way we we end all of the episodes. I'm always really curious about like what 
what lesson that you thought you knew, like, okay, I, this is, this is something that I know to be sure that you then had to later on unlearn because it just no longer served you. What, what idea or thought you now with space and time feel like, you know what, that actually doesn't, that idea doesn't serve me anymore. Yes. Oh, this is good. That's such a, that's such a good question. Um, <laughs> I would say I, um, when I was younger, not that much younger, but when I first graduated <laughs> in college and you're like looking for internships and at the time, like all the internships were unpaid. And I was like, well, this is what you got to do. You got to do the free work to get, to get somewhere. And I remember my dad being like, what? <laughs> he was like, no, your time, even though you're still in school, your time has value. You should get paid for it. I'm like, no, dad, you're wrong. This is how it, this is how the world is. And he's like, I mean, right. that's not how the world should be though. And also now you're paying money to go down to the city for an internship that's not paying you anything. Right. And by me paying to go down to the city is my dad paying for me to go down. To the city. <laughs> right, right, right. So um, that's really the beginning of where I was like, oh God, like the status quo isn't always right. So like that was very much the beginning of like that thinking in general, mm, um, but in mm. specific to working for free. So as I've grown older, um, especially for artists, I feel like you have all these big companies being like, hey, do this for us for free. It'll be a great opportunity for you. Exposure, exposure. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't have the money to pay me for the artwork, you don't have money to put paid behind it to actually expose it to other people. Right. Like on a, you know, financial level but on a bigger level it's like no like I have value and it deserves like I deserve to be compensated for that value and for that work and so that was something that um I would say it took a few years though for me to kind of get to that point like even after my dad was like you should always get paid for your work like I remember I would apply for jobs and I was gonna take a really low-paying job and I was like dad I you know I gotta start making money I gotta pay back you know these loans and he was like you are lucky that you can live at home and we can support you. And he was like, but I want you to take this as a lesson that that is underpaying you. Like that's not minimum wage. He was like, you need to hold out for what your value is. And, mm. and I know that I was very privileged in the fact that I could hold out for that. So I think that it's important right. to educate companies and be like, stop paying your employees $25,000 a year to work 80 hours a week. Like that's not right. Okay. Right. So insane. So I think that that was something that, you know, in the beginning I was like, this is how it is. You know, what am I going to do about it? To so being like, actually I can help contribute to do something about it. So yeah. Well, and even even um, making the decision to not work for free in terms of like accepting unpaid internships is a way of, you know, for me, it's also a really kind of anti-racist approach as well, because if the average uh, like uh, uh, wealth of a black family is like $11,000 versus like a white family, which is, I think, like closer to like a hundred oh, yeah. plus, yeah. you know, there's no way that a black candidate um, would ever be able to take an unpaid internship, yeah. even if their family wanted to support. And so, and so it's, 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 it also saying no to that and, and leaning 
on your parents while you find other opportunities as a way to not participate in a in a racist system. And and sometimes I think it's like inadvertent. I don't think it's I don't think it's over. But what ends up happening is like these are the ripple effects. You end up having folks that yeah. Right, right. And and then you work with, you know, a really non-diverse, you know, uh, group of people. It's just like it, it ends oh, up yeah. snowballing into, into a mess, but that's a really great, that's a really great lesson. Shout out to your parents. It feels like they just, <laughs> Good I was like so mad. So like that internship is at Sony music and I'm like, let me go wow. one day a week. And he's like, okay, we can afford to let you go one day a week, but you cannot do this again. And like, that's when I learned, I was like, I learned nothing. I mean, sorry. For music. <laughs> I learned nothing of value that have helped me, you know, like I just, right. and that was something that ever since then. And like, and that's the other thing to your point about it being very anti-racist to not take those like I had no idea about that when I was 22 and like as I grew older I was like oh remember like duh and um it's just like you you know your work has value and like to your point like yeah the only people that can afford to do a full-time unpaid internship already have wealth and in our country that those are white people so it further kind of makes that economic rift between Americans even bigger so um yeah I was like good on good on you dad and he was just like well, also, we couldn't afford to send you to the city five days a week. That's $50 <laughs> a week. I can't afford that. So, yeah, that's something that definitely took me a few years to, you know, unlearn the fact that, you know, even though companies are doing it, it's not okay. Well, Amber, thank you so much for spending an hour with us. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. I feel like I learned so much about you and your process and it'll make me enjoy your artwork even more. Um, thank you so much for your time and for folks out there that want to follow, um, Amber Vittoria's beautiful work on Instagram. It's, uh, her handle is at Amber underscore V I T T O R I A. And, um, you'll have access to her website and all that beautiful stuff. Thank you again, Amber, for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for thinking of me for this. This is really awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely.